Welcome back, romance nerds. We're going into the dark side of romance one more time to bring you the worst of the worst scandals. Today, we'll watch our heroes turn into our villains and find no winners in our courtrooms. But once you go into the dark, can you ever really leave? XOXO, Jen and Jackie. Dun, dun, dun! Hey there, romance nerds! Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Hey, Jen. Hey, Jackie. We're going back to spooky season month with this joke, but how did Dracula learn to fly? I mean, he probably really sucked at it at first. Batting practice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. You know what? I'm going to count that as another win for Jackie. Yeah. Two for two. At least there is one person on our podcast who can go home a winner today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome back to our second episode on Romance Scandals. If you have a love of pettiness and gossip, you are going to love this topic. Oh, yes. Last time we talked about massive plagiarism, Cocky Gate, (laughs) Alexa Riley, and James Patterson. So please give that a listen if somehow you missed it. How dare you? Yeah, I can't believe you. Go back right now. Just pause me. Tisk tisk. We will be here. But if you are ready, like our favorite romance nerds, we are really excited to talk to you about a very recent scandal yes. that just broke Twitter the week we are recording this. Yes. The Omegaverse lawsuits and the downfall of Powerhouse RWA. The scandal to end all scandals, yeah, quite frankly. I'm going to tell you guys right now, this is the worst scandal probably. Also, buckle in, pour yourself some tea, mm-hmm. brew a fresh cuppa, because this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> so get a snack. I did my best. I did my best. I, I cut stuff. Okay. I know it's 27 pages, but I, but think I still cut stuff. We really have to do this one justice. Yes. So buckle this is in. the big stuff. We're doing it. We're and doing the thing. We are. So as always, thank you so much to Northern Onondaga Public Library for letting us do the thing <laughs> and for giving us a platform to give our patrons these very deep dives into one of the most important genres in publishing today. Yes. Romance. I am really glad we could take a month to examine the seedier side of romance. I just, I think it's a good idea to examine the good and the bad of what you love. And I want to start off with a scandal that just happened this mm. week from an author I used to love, mm-hmm. you know, full disclosure. Same. Jamie McGuire, who wrote the insanely popular indie series Beautiful Disaster. Jackie, you're actually the one who told me about this. You heard the news first. Do you want to round up what you told me this week? Sure thing. So um, by the time you're listening to this, it would have been the week before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and I first heard about it on TikTok, but it did break on Twitter first. And this is actually a combination of old drama as well as the mm-hmm. freshly brewed tea. So just a few days ago, as of recording this Monday, October 25th, Twitter, it was released on Twitter that director Roger Crumble, cr- Crumble, it's like Crumble, with, but with a K, so Crumble. It's like the cookie crumbled. Cookie crumbled. <laughs> it did crumble. <laughs> and it was released on TikTok. He tw- TikTok, sorry, he tweeted that he had just started filming the movie adaptation of Beautiful Disaster with actors Dylan Sprouse, 
Yes, that Dylan Sprouse, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. <laughs> it's just funny. And actress role. Virginia Gardner, who I think has done a lot of um, like uh, horror house flicks. Okay, because I've never heard of her. Neither have I, but I looked at some of her titles and I was like, oh, I, I know I've heard of that or I've mm. ordered it for the library. So, you know, a movie sounds fun. It's supposed yeah. to be a romance book adaptation, right? Which would be great. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is that the author of this book, book of the book version of beautiful disaster jamie mcguire is well she's a certain type of person <laughs> that's a very diplomatic way of putting it <laughs> and normally we do try to stay out of the politics and out of the dirt and we try to like keep our noses clean but we're not going to promote this person yeah she is she has been dragged for her racist sexist homophobic transphobic and all-around hateful speech and actions mm-hmm. We, like I said, we try not to delve very deep into the politics. You know, everybody has a different, op- has different opinions, especially at the library. We try to represent as many people as possible. But this author is just, we, we can't. We really can't. I think there's a difference between promoting difference of opinions and then there's some things <clears throat> that are just human rights. Like, you yeah. can't argue that some of these things are just untouchable, I guess, in terms of like, you, you can't argue that somebody has a right to exist. Right. Like, if that's your starting point, you've already lost the argument. Yeah. So just to delve into some of the stuff that she has done, and I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just going into <laughs> – I'm trying to remain as diplomatic as possible <laughs> with this. Um, I'm just going to go into some of the stuff that she has been dragged for by other social media users and readers. So – Jamie McGuire played devil's advocate to the George Floyd murder, and that was in her own words. Like, that's verbatim. Let me play devil's advocate. She supported racially motivated shootings Mm -hmm. at schools involved, too. Um, She is anti-vaccine and Mm anti-masking. She supported slander against Ahmaud Arbery, um, which was a very recent trial in Georgia. He was right a, now. Yeah, it was like this morning. I was watching a newscast on it. He was a black man who was chased down and murdered by two, three white men, actually, while he was out jogging. And whatever you think of that mm-hmm. case, either way, she has supported slander mm-hmm. against him. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. I will put links to sh- uh, articles in the show notes as usual. I will try to present as many sides as possible, including her own social media. So you can do with that as you will. There's only so many sides to this. But let's get into her romance books because we like to talk about romance books mm-hmm. here, right? And I'm going to use word romance in air quotes because oh. they are full. And OK, so Jen and I both love this series when yeah. it came out. Like I, honestly, I owned it. I reread it. 5,000 times because I was in college when it came out so I was like oh cool this is somebody my age it's like 2013 yeah and it was a big deal because she was one of the first indie books to make it mainstream as she says on our website and she was one of the first new adult yeah persons authors so this was a big deal series and for whatever reason beautiful disaster I just loved rereading that one yeah hindsight I have no idea why I re I tried to reread it the other day and I'm like this baby Jen yeah (laughs) Yeah. So <laughs> this the, is what happens. The when premise you're in your of the 20s. book is it's set at college, which is why it's a new adult. The heroine is your typical shy bookworm, doesn't get out much. You know how they love to base new mm-hmm. adults on that character. Um, and the hero is a very, very, very morally dark. <laughs> I mean, he's not, he's not as morally dark as some of the yeah, the other true. characters. He's just kind of like dressing up a lot of behavior that is troublesome yes. into these kind of romantic lights yeah. um he is a street fighter he makes money as a street fighter um and he is very 
physically and emotionally aggressive Mm -hmm. towards the heroine as well as other characters. And I apologize. The book came out in 2011, not 2013. Um, the emotional bu- abuse, so trigger warning, the emotional abuse in this book is horrific. And there are so many other themes that are disgusting that it perpetuates. There's stalking, mm-hmm. verbal and physical violence between the characters, um, aggression and overt displays of quote unquote affection, <laughs> which I think a psychologist would not call mm-hmm. affection. There's dubious consent. And there's so, so, so much more. Now, I know we did a whole episode, a whole month on dark romances, but there's a difference between a dark romance mm-hmm. and something that perpetuates these issues and in, in relationships. I mean, to be fair, it's perpetuated in dark romance, but I think the way it's packaged. Yes. And the way it's presented to a reader. Yes. Like you go in, as we said in our dark episode, in our dark romances episode, um, you go into a dark romance kind of expecting it, yeah, kind of expecting it. these mm-hmm. dub con scenes and these like darker tropes and all that. Going into this book as a little baby, oh God, I don't, I wasn't even 20, I wasn't even 20 when this book came out. Yeah, I was, if I was, I was in college, you're two years younger than me. Yeah. Yeah. So you were a little, like, yes. little baby Jackie. Yeah, I was a little baby Jackie reading this and I, I wouldn't have known any different as a little baby naive Jackie. I think as I think about it right now, there was an intensity to the book I really liked. Yeah. Like just gritty and And how dark. much he, he needed her and like how often he kept screwing up because that, that need, like... early 20s that was something very seductive to me I think Mm, there were a lot of books that came out like that That was like that yeah and it's masking kind of this whole oh but you know he's also stalking you he's also really uh physically he never hits her no but like he'll punch the wall around her kind of there was one scene that a lot of people have been reacting to recently where the heroine walks away from Trevor Travis Travis Mm -hmm. Travis Maddox she walks away from him and he goes crazy I Mm -hmm. almost swore again he goes crazy (laughs) we're still at 25 cents folks um and he is destroying property he's being verbally abusive to his Mm -hmm. quote-unquote friends he is throwing things he's breaking things he's like saying I'm gonna get her she'll be mine forever which doesn't sound that mentally healthy (laughs) to me so you know Mm -hmm. um and now this is all older tea. Yeah. It's all older news. This broke like 2015. Everybody is, was going off about it. It's been a while it. that I think I heard the news about her liking and saying all these really crazy things with the um, the Wayfair thing. Mm, Do you yep. remember that when they were saying that they were selling kits in the furniture? Because she was yeah. one of the ones who were tweeting very heavily about that too. <laughs> and she is, as I said a couple minutes ago, she's very open in some of the things that she does mm-hmm. um perpetuate I don't even want to say perpetuate some of the things that she believes in Mm -hmm. um and that she talks about on her social media and some of the people that she engages with Mm -hmm. so just um if you choose to engage with her on social media (laughs) be aware that she is very active and she is very vocal so maybe we'll hear from her (laughs) (laughs) I am nervous about hearing from somebody so am I I'm so nervous about that (laughs) but the big question that Romance Landia has been having with October 25th Twitter news that this book is getting made into a movie is why (laughs) it is weird why after the success of Bridgerton yeah when they showed that good classic romance novels can be made into groundbreaking Mm money-making 
amazing things. I guess I think they could do the same thing with Beautiful Disaster because, um, to be fair, Bridgerton did have bad scenes too. It the, did. The original books. It did. Maybe they're gonna tone Travis down. I guess I don't know. I guess it's just it's a two. It's a ten year old book. Yeah. There is way better stuff coming out. I'm really surprised. Especially that if you want to go the like the darker, grittier, yeah, like new adult scene. Mm-hmm. Also, they're filming in like Eastern Europe. Oh wow. That's I know, weird. so I'm like, are you putting a new spin on it where it's like this I is don't an know. American release, right? This isn't yeah. some like, weird European thing. No, it's weird. it's through I don't remember what um, cinematic whatever, but yeah, it's an American director, American actors. Mm. It's got Dylan Sprouse in it. Yeah, it's weird. So I just I think I'm so confused by the. It's such an old book. Yeah, <laughs> this is what you picked, and it's one that <laughs> comes with a lot of baggage to it. Yeah. And I know I said I was really excited by all the kinds of new vehicles romance was going to get to ride in on with the success of Bridgerton but this is not what I meant no No. (laughs) but I will let you make up your own mind dear listeners because we already talked about this longer than I thought we were going to talk about that (laughs) sorry (laughs) um let's move on to the true tea of today which Jen is so excited for and I'm ready to react to because I haven't looked at her notes at all okay so I'm like ready it's really exciting get into everything I am so excited guys Longtime listeners of Raging Romantics know we have already teased this discussion back on our werewolf episodes in October. I am really, really thrilled to finally unveil it to you because I love thinking about these very serious judges who worked their way through law school, (laughs) spent years practicing law, dreamed of earning their judgeship and achieved their dreams, (laughs) only to end up with a court case where they have to talk about wolf kink erotica. (laughs) Uh, so we should probably put in a spoiler warning, or not a spoiler warning, a trigger warning for some of the language we're going to use in this. But keep in mind, you can find all of this in lawsuits. And I'm not cursing. Exactly. I'm not cursing. It was in legal papers. Yes. So it's fine. If a yeah. judge can say this, I can say this. <laughs> and yes, it's got really great questions about who can own ideas or a genre. We're not just doing this for fun and giggles. But it's it's also really hilarious that some poor legal aide probably had to explain nodding to their boss. So let us let's hold on to that thought because I, there is going to be some infuriating parts of this story. I had to explain Omegaverse to my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never gonna recover. If you feel Jackie's pain, we are here for you at RagingRomantics at Nopal.org. Oh, yes. Please reach out. We will have uh, like a friendship circle and some hot chocolate. <laughs> we'll get you a security blanket. It'll be okay. I'm really good at crocheting blankets now. So let's just dive in before I um, <clears throat> get fired. Okay. <laughs> we did a full overview on Omegaverse in our werewolf month. So I'm not risking my job again by explaining it no. again. No. Go listen to it. Do some Googling if you need a deep dive. If somehow the knowledge did not just get seared into your brain. Omegaverse is a subgenre of erotica that classifies humans into these alpha, beta, omega dynamics. It was a fanfiction creation that has made the leap into original work, and at this point, it's a very established trope that can be twisted into millions of different fictional scenarios. There's a lot of people that don't like Omegaverse, but that's not the scandal we're talking about today. <laughs> Instead, we are going to talk about how Batman fanfiction eventually led to a $1.25 million lawsuit and a really embarrassing lesson plan for a bunch of middle-aged judges. Are you ready, Jackie? I'm Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to show you a really funny TikTok later. Anyways, let's start our story in 2019, where one Addison Kane is studying and working in Japan. And like all great students of our time, tries to find anything else to do but her work. (laughs) So she starts writing Bane Omegaverse fanfiction instead of her schoolwork. And to be honest, I get the choice. Fair enough. (laughs) 
Her fanfics actually sound like they were really popular. I can't find any stats, but a lot of the people discussing the story agree that they did very well. And she had a very big um, like fan base of her own fanfiction, which, you know, good for her. Cool. Uh, did you say, sorry, did you say where she was publishing this? At the time, I think she was on, that's a good question. I don't know if she was on Archive yet. So it was online, though. It was definitely online. She was not, like, typing this into a typewriter. (laughs) I mean, I'd have to double-check when Archive was established. I think most people at the time were probably still on fanfiction.net. Okay. I think at some point we're going to have to have a fanfiction episode, but Archive was established because fanfiction had deleted a ton of work that was too explicit and, like, had all these parameters. And that's not not even the point. (laughs) But I'd have to look at the timeline. It could be Archive. It could be Tumblr. It could be LiveJournal. There are a lot of places people publish their work. Okay. But she is publishing it online, and it is popular enough that she kind of decides that, hey, when she comes back to the States, let's try to actually sell the work. She edits, she edits her fan fiction, so it's original, which we talked about last time as filing off the serial numbers. Mm-hmm. And she started shopping it around to publishing houses. Blushing Books agrees to buy it, and in 2016, Born to be Bound was released. Because she had all this previous fan fiction, she edited all the fan fiction references out, and she was able to release a lot of new content very quickly. She was releasing like these massively huge stories every couple of months because of it. Oh, okay. So because of that, she became one of the top-selling Omegaverse authors between the fan fiction fans supporting it, all the positive reviews, and frequent new work putting her on top of the Omegaverse store, and she was super involved on in her Facebook page. In these kind of niche communities, we'll say, you have to be very, very involved in your online world. Yes. That's going to be a problem in a minute. (laughs) So the New York Times reported in their coverage of this case, her series had actually made it over $300,000. Wow. Okay. So let's keep that in mind. No matter what you think about Omegaverse, there is a lot of money to be made here. Yeah. And when there's money, bad actors will always come out to play. Yeah. In 2018, Zoe Ellis comes onto the scene with her Omegaverse book, Crave to Conquer. Part of a fantasy Omegaverse series mm-hmm. published through Quill Ink Books. Mm-hmm. At this point here, I want to put in like a mini disclaimer. I actually have read this book. You lent it to me. I lent it to you. Yeah. I liked it. I have read Zoe Ellis's book. I have not read Kane's book. Same. I am trying really hard here not to be too biased in the way I'm presenting this drama to you. But there is that to nitpick over if you would like. Transparency. I have Transparency. We're all about that. I will freely admit I like Omegaverse a lot, but I've always been too scared to read Kane's work. She focuses on a lot of things called total power exchanges, and it the heroes just sound too scary. <laughs> like, I have not had the, the mental fortitude to go through one of those yet. I'm making a face at Jen yeah. right now. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful <laughs> it's face, a scared guys. face. And I did really enjoy Ellis's book, again, if I'm being upfront, but she made me so mad at the ending that I will never finish the series. Dame! <laughs> I hate it! What was that ending? It was such a... Ugh. We won't get into it. I don't want to give you spoilers. Maybe I want to give you spoilers. Maybe I don't know. if we ever do a fantasy month, we'll have to, we'll have to look know. at that. Just the ending made me so mad that I was like, <laughs> I can't do it again. I'm not spending money on this. So... Do with that info what you will, but after reading about this case for weeks, I am stating I don't think I'm being unfair towards anyone. So, there you go. Anyway, Ellis's book is getting some buzz. Readers are really liking it until fans of Kane's work start reading it and feel like, hey, this plot feels sort of similar to Uh Kane's. They notify Addison Kane that they think Ellis has been plagiarizing from her. (gasps) And that is what sets Addison Kane off towards our scandal. This sounds like last week. So, let's quickly look at these two books. Born to be Bound is set in a post-apocalyptic world where the earth is destroyed and everyone lives under domes. Mm -hmm. The main character, Shepard, is this violent alpha leader who wants to overthrow the government and forces a mate bond on the 
Omega Claire after she approaches him for help while pretending while pretending to be a beta. Okay. And Crave to Conquer, Alpha Emperor Draco lives in, or leads an army of alphas in a fantasy-based realm. They've recently conquered the continent, and now that he's in charge, he's promised to figure out why all the Omegas have been disappearing, and we'll get an Omega mate for all the men. Omega Caitlin is pretending to be a beta in order to get access to Draco's library. Her Omega status gets revealed accidentally, and hey, they're actually mates. Cool. So the thing is, I could sit here and I could list one by one all the plot points that sound similar to each other. And trust me, Kate and her readers did that. But I'm not going to waste your time and mine, because honestly, all this stuff is really acceptable tropes and scenes in the Omegaverse. You want to know the first time I read about an alpha war leader conquering land for his men to find mates or Omegas hiding as bettas or forced mate bonds? When? As Sherlock, Star Trek crossover <gasps> fanfic in the late 2010s. Shut the front door. I need to read that. I spent a glorious few months reading Sherlock, Molly Hooper, oh con fanfic, and I'm only slightly embarrassed about it now. This is why Jen and I are friends. <laughs> so I'm really yes. super hulak. It's a thing. Okay. Petra Todd did this before you guys did. Who yes. the bell t- like all the bell tolls, who the bell tolls, I can't remember your full name. She did this before you guys. I'm really sorry. I know you guys think you were writing really original topics, but this stuff is already a thing. There is okay? no original topic anymore. There's a lot of great legal and academic articles online that break this down much better than I do. And I think even Jackie's talked about this scenes affair, scenes affair, scenes affair. No, I haven't actually. Oh, cool. <laughs> I got there first. There you go. But there is this thing called Scenes Affair, which is how to have a certain trope or genre or fictional property work. There has to be certain elements included. You don't need to have every element associated with Omegaverse, but there's still just some stuff that has to be in there or readers won't recognize it as Omegaverse. In my opinion and the legal opinion of most of the resources I looked at, that is very much the case here. But if you ever do get a good chuckle out of uh, sassy lawyer documents like I do, the response Ellis's lawyers filed to all of the points Kane said she plagiarized from is hilarious. <laughs> There's actually a point where they're all like, all armies are violent. Kane doesn't own violent armies. Like, it's just funny. I it's love just, bullet points. It's so good. That's great. It's going to be in the show notes. Okay. It's going to be in the okay. show notes. Okay, good. So I know we covered a lot of plagiarism and we've covered copyright issues so far this month. I just want to make it really clear. Ellis did not copy and paste any lines from Kane's work. I think there was maybe one line out of three books that looked like a copy and paste job, but she writes three books. I think I'm, it's probably just dumb luck at that point. We talked about it last time with Janet, was it Janet Ivanovich and Nora Roberts? No, 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 Janet Daly. Janet Daly, sorry, the other Janet, Mm -hmm. um, where I mentioned there's this quote, and I'm pretty sure it's from a lawyer, where if it happens once, if it's a, mm-hmm. it's a coincidence. If it happens twice, eh, it might be questionable. Yeah. If it happens three times or more, then yeah, it's plagiarism. Mm-hmm. It happened once. That's it. We live in a world That's where it. we're writing in the <laughs> same bubble. This is sort of the gray area of plagiarism readers might struggle with if they're new to a certain genre. So mm. the Omegaverse is very new to some people. I get why Kane's readers looked at this and not knowing maybe the fan fiction, not being super experienced. They're like, oh, these are really super similar. Mm. But like we said, you can't claim a trope or a genre. You can just claim the expression. Especially at the time mm. Omegaverse was such a small pool. Yeah. I feel like... It's, that yeah, this time of, yeah. if you're writing in that circle, it's it's going to be a small thing to come up with. I mm-hmm. mean, like when Ruby Dixon, again, we go off with Ruby Dixon, started <laughs> writing Aliens, she was probably one of the first ones to come up with a lot of the stuff that she came up with. Right. And now it's like every alien book has it's a lot of the same blue stuff. Aliens. I just looked at one today that was Blue Alien yeah. and like Mate Bonds. And yeah, exactly. She can't claim that. I'm sorry. I love Ruby Dixon. She could... Maybe copyright Ice Planet Barbarians and maybe make some merch out of it, hopefully. 
but yeah, like I don't know. So let's keep all of that in mind when I tell you, Kane publicly accuses Ellis of plagiarism, and her publisher Blushing Blushing Books decides to send DMCA notices to all online retailers to get Ellis's books removed in April of 2018. I'm sure you've heard of DMCA notices nope. before. Oh, okay, really? No. Wow, you're a bad librarian. <laughs> Is that like cease and desist? <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, I wish I looked. I, I did not write a lot about this deliberately, so I wouldn't be boring. But basically, a DMCA is something a copyright holder will send to a website if someone is infringing on their copyright. It's basically an automatic removal of whatever material is being complained about because it's a ton of liability and work for the hosting websites in question, and they don't want to deal with it. Okay. So, it's kind of... Oh, it stands for Digital Millennium mm. Copyright Act, yeah. also known as a DMCA takedown notice or a DMCA request. Exactly. It covers any copyrighted material that could be infringed upon Thank on the you. internet. So it's kind of a way to protect hosting websites because otherwise, if YouTube was liable for me uploading a Kanye West song and saying, oh, I own this Kanye West song, like they would never allow uploads ever and it wouldn't exist. Right. So it's the thing is, though, if you submit the DMCA and they don't respond, then they are liable. Okay. So that's kind of the trick there. If they ignore the DMCA about my Kanye West song upload, then Kanye West can sue them and me. Okay. So it ends up just being a lot easier for them to just take the material off. They don't need to do a lot of investigation. They don't necessarily care, to be honest. They just kind of want it off their plate. Yeah. And that's really what happened with Ellis. They did not do a real investigation. They just were like, oh, cool. Here's these DMCs. Let's stay out of trouble. Let's get them taken down. So... All the online retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, all gone. You know, it kind of sounds like what happened to Alexa Riley. A little bit, yeah. If we go back to that. Of course, we don't know what happened, but Still, based yeah. on the reaction time mm -hmm. and how quickly Amazon took everything down, I almost wonder if that was the case. And this was especially bad because even if you already bought the book, it disappeared from your Kindle. Oh, that's bad. So the Ellis book I had bought had disappeared. My Alexa Riley stuff is still there. It might surprise you that Quill Inc. filed against Kane in Oklahoma, given that Kane lives in Virginia and has no business or ties to the state. The legal podcast I listened to about this case informed me that judges don't usually like it when you file suit against people in locations where they have no connection. Otherwise, if I was mad at Jackie and wanted to sue her, why not sue her in Alaska when we both live in New York just to really ruin her day? I'll move to Alaska. <laughs> so Kane asks to be dismissed from the Oklahoma case because, as she puts it, this has nothing to do with her. <laughs> Ever since the takedown notices have been piled, she has been keeping herself busy on Facebook explaining to her readers what's going on, how sick to her stomach she is that her publishers have decided to file these takedown notices all on their own. Oh, geez. And it's something that she had nothing to do with. Wow, this sounds familiar. But they have to protect their copyrights Jeez. on these copyrights that they have filed on her behalf. So as she tells the court and swears to, she signs an affidavit, uh, affidavit, she swears she has nothing at all to do with any of this. Why should she be sued here? <laughs> I'm so innocent. <laughs> like, I, I'm Jackie, is, is the tone of my voice giving you something there? I... Am I like foreshadowing something right there? Yes. I hope you guys are picking up that um, <clears throat> something's coming. I just want you to remember, she says she's an innocent little lamb in the middle of all this. <clears throat> and uh, doesn't control what blushing books is doing <laughs> so the judge is like all right fine sign the affidavit she's dismissed from the oklahoma case mm -hmm. because you know she's nothing to do with right, this right right she lives in virginia so ellis actually does sue her there but we will get to that in a second so there okay. are two cases going on okay 
So now the case is just between Quill versus Blushing in Oklahoma before the actual trial starts. There's this discovery period where everyone's lawyers asks for documentation and evidence and all this stuff and yada yada. And one of the things Quill's lawyers ask for is the correspondence between Kane and Blushing books. Mm. Are you ready to have your mind blown, Jackie? Okay. Do you want to hear the most shocking thing to ever shock you? I do. When Quill gets their hands on those emails, they find out that Kane had helped orchestrate everything. And there's the other shoe dropping. <laughs> what a shock. The takedown notices, the naive and innocent Facebook act, and she was the one who pushed for all of this to happen. This was not Blushing Books forcing her to go along. She was the one who wanted Ellis basically destroyed. She says that in her emails, that she wants her destroyed. Okay? Wow. Blushing Books at one point had even advised her, you know, we could do nothing in one email, and Kane is the one who insisted on pressing ahead. Uh. Wow. So not only has she been lying to Facebook and all of her readers, she has also just perjured herself. Not only is there perjury now, there are no copyrights filed on these books. Like, there's none. Like, she said they had copyrights. They don't have copyrights. I don't know for certain if they could have gotten a copyright, maybe for her world, her whatevers. But regardless, they filed DMCA notices on copyrights they do not own or even exist. Oh. And the whole thing with DMCA is it has to be filed in good faith. Yeah. This was very much not good faith. No. That is especially a huge deal because not only had Kane filed DMCAs except against existing work, she had also filed them against upcoming books. Oh. And that's especially insane because how do you claim something is copyright infringed if it's not even out for you to check? Yeah. She later said this was because uh, since she was clearly plagiarizing all of her books, like she just assumed the third would be plagiarized too. Never assume. You know what they say about assuming (laughs) things. I can't because I'll have to pay Jen another quarter, but... (laughs) Wow. I mean, go ahead and say it if you want to. Wow. And I will say it again. Everything lives forever on the internet. Mm -hmm. You cannot delete Mm -hmm. anything unless you are like a master hacker. That's actually one of the things the legal podcast I I listened to said was uh, don't put your evil plan in writing because (laughs) who they wouldn't have known otherwise if she hadn't emailed it to each other. So anytime you have evil plans, you hear it here first. Uh, do it verbally. <laughs> Jen and I have very many evil plans in the go. works, and you guys will never know. <laughs> Point being, this is also a very bad look for Kane's lawyers. Yeah. They actually do a very interesting thing where they challenge Kane's lawyers to agree or disagree on certain questions, like, hey, did Addison Kane have anything to do with the DMCAs? It's one thing for her to lie, but those lawyers are not willing to lie on her behalf. Good. So, Ellis's lawyers file a motion to judge Kane guilty of civil contempt, perjury, and to dismiss the case. Mm. Three days later, Blushing offers a complete settlement, says Ellis did not plagiarize, and dismiss the case! Uh, Woo! However, there you go. I'm going to break the party up. Okay. This doesn't mean Ellis got any money. Oh. I really genuinely do not understand the legal mechanism that prevented it. I'm not even going to try to explain it. Uh, the legal podcast I listened to did their best, and I just am dumb. But... Whatever, she did not get money, and I think she was okay with this because the Virginia case was going on, mm. and this is where they really had them pinned. Uh, I, maybe this is jumping ahead. I do have one question. Yeah. Are Ellis's books back up and available for At this purchase? point, yes. Okay, so mm-hmm. maybe that's part of the reason why? Yeah, I think- Because it was loss of revenue was a main reason for yeah. the suing? So she did. She was finally getting some money. Okay. She lost a ton of money fighting yeah. this in general, though. So it wasn't enough, but I think they thought because they had her so pinned because she perjured. Yeah. She lied. There was just so much going against her. They had her dead to rights. And here's where 
Again, I have to kill the party. Oh. It seems like Ellis got a little cocky. Oh, no. (laughs) And she filed way too many claims instead of just focusing on the most important Mm. clear-cut ones. There was way too much money and time wasted dealing with these frivolous things, and she ended up running out of money before she could finish the case and get to the important ones she actually had, like, came pinned down on. Her lawyer left, Quill Inc. got liquidated, and there's, like, this weird UK law that she'd have to start over, so the case ended up fizzling out. The judge filed to dismiss it on a a lack of prosecution. Nothing happened to Kane because of the DMCs or the perjury or the lying. Instead, she got to talk about how it was such a win for the writing community. Mm. Does that strike you as a win for the writing community, Jackie? I think that part of it does. Well, not on Kane's, but mm. on Ellis's part, because it showed that nobody can really own a singular idea. That's true. And even if you're writing in a universe that seems universe that seems unique, mm-hmm. you still have uh you still have right to write yeah. within that universe. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Unless it's copyrighted, then don't do that. But it just would have been nice if we had an actual court case that said that. Yeah. And that is that had been one of the big hopes of this whole thing was this would have been a really great kind of legal tool to use against bad faith dmcas yeah and we lost that because i don't know she got it too was arrogant it was, there was some weird stuff going on i want to say i listened to uh two pod or two youtubes about this Lin- Lindsay ellis no relation Lindsay ellis is really good yeah very excellent by the way if you'd like more information and she goes into more detail as well as well as the podcast i listened to um al lab all in the all in the show notes by the way it's just it is really depressing but if you want something that might make you laugh okay the only reason i ever read the ellis book was because i got an email about how it was back in my library one day and honestly i hadn't even noticed it was missing (laughs) and it probably would have been a free book i forgot about in my kindle if it hadn't been for me suddenly being like oh no i better read this before (laughs) it disappears again so at least for me all of the drama is the reason why i read her arch enemies book so there (laughs) She actually made me read it. And then you lent it to me. So, then, I, so read I got it. two people. Two people got it. There we go. And I did rate it on Goodreads. I did not purchase it, though. Mm-hmm. I borrowed it from Jen. There you go. Okay. So a lot of people like to make fun of this case because wolf porn. <laughs> as much as I like the genre, it is really easy to mock. But it's an important story about copyright, abuse of DMCAs, and if anyone can own a genre. And it's just one we didn't get to have. Yeah. Ellis's case could have been a great defense. Instead... We got nothing. Kane and Ellis are both still writing today, and I don't know. Maybe that's a nice note to end on. It didn't ruin anyone's career, and Omegaverse is still going strong. Yay. Yeah. And now there's take that as our silver even lining. more authors in Omegaverse. Yeah. It is really, really big. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I am really sad that there wasn't, a, like, a final say and then it was just miss it dismissed because yeah. like you said jen had there been an actual like legal proceeding in it we would yeah. have had something to fall back on for future cases exactly and i think as indie publishing and kdp and online publishing continues to grow in popularity and continues to grow in profitability yeah um i think we're going to keep running into issues with this mm-hmm. um because yeah there's a whole new slew of writers coming in into the indie pub just from like the book talk like the yeah. book tiktok community and a lot of those plots are i'm not gonna say derived i'm gonna say rehashed they're similar yeah there's a i love romance i'm not gonna say that we don't love it because it's not formulaic so omegaverse fun mm-hmm. kane seems like she may have started the genre <laughs> that's an evil laugh <laughs> Tell me okay. more. Okay. I didn't know if I was going to put this in, but I will put this in for you, Jackie. <laughs> okay, thank you. One thing that is really 
it's really frustrating about this case. We'll say that. She had claimed on Facebook at one point that she invented heterosexual Omegaverse stories. Mm. I'm sure today she would walk that back. And she did say in a lot of the court documents that she doesn't own Omegaverse. But in a comment to a person asking why so much of the original Omegaverse stuff is so dark, she had mentioned that, well, you know, she's a, a dubcon, non-con, non-con author. Like, everybody's just following the trend because she was the first to do it. So that is a go find the screenshots. It's what she said. She said it something similar in another thing. Here's me being honest again. I didn't really believe her the first time when she said that. <laughs> it just it doesn't sound that likely to me because she would have had screenshots. She would have had timestamps. She would have had proof of when mm. she posted her work. Mm-hmm. And from everything we've learned about Omegaverse, it's not really something one person invented. Right. It's something that a lot of people kind of worked on together. It's like a lot of people contributed to it until we had established elements and tropes to mm-hmm. Omegaverse. Mm-hmm. And just being the person who did, ooh, cool, you did the first male-female one. I don't know. Is that really that revolutionary? Like, good yeah. job. A lot of people kind of made fun of her because they were kind of like, oh, cool, you're bragging about invading queer spaces. Ah. Good job. <laughs> Oof. At the very Ouch. least. At the very least. <laughs> At the very least, It's yes. not even true. Oh. The first male-female Omegaverse story that I could find was published on Live Journal in 2011. Oh. I think I sent you the link. Yeah. Honestly, it's very bad. Like, <laughs> love Live Journal to death. It's not very good. <laughs> so don't don't go and find it. But it is. It's not endorsed. <laughs> it's, it is a supernatural Omegaverse fan. Like, it's an alpha female and Omega Jensen. Um, huh. And, like, who was his wife at the time, I think, Jan- yeah. Janelle or whatever. Yeah. And so, yeah, 2011, live journal. And the first original Omegaverse work looks like it was by Nora Ash, published in 2014. Okay, so two years before Born to be Bound. Oh, okay. If I'm going to give Kane any grace at all, the internet is a very big place, and fandoms don't always run in the same circles. It could be possible that she thought she was doing the very first one, but there's just so many people writing so fanfic. So hard to track. Yeah, you can't really track it, and it's possible a bunch of people thought, oh, hey, let's do a male-female Omegaverse, and nobody noticed other people were already doing it. Yeah. I can't say I know much about the Batman fandom. I don't think it's that big. I think I've read two because of <laughs> they were crossed over with another fandom I was into. I didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. Listen, there's a fandom for everything. I know. I knew there was a fandom, <laughs> but I didn't know everything. that it went into mm-hmm. romance. Oh, yeah. I mean, Harley Quinn probably. Yeah. But Oh, yeah. No, I mean, people put Batman with everybody. And like I said, this is Bane because she wanted to write specific antiheroes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So maybe. There's a sidebar. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like Batman. Uh, Catwoman is a big oh, one. Oh, that's like, a big one. Or like Selena, uh, Selena, Cal- Selena, Selena Kyle. That's the author. I'm not into DC, so I'm okay. also just out of it. Okay. <laughs> Wonder Woman, I think. Yeah, I don't know. People like, they just want to do it. Whatever. Maybe I'll do some scary Googling later. So I'll give her some credit. I'll, I won't give her credit. <laughs> I will give her some grace for the fan fiction claim. Maybe in her own circles, she was the first. Sure, she maybe. She was living in Japan at the time, yeah, so maybe it was just something. Well, she's reading it in English, though. It's not That's like. True. like That's so. True. It's not. But in Japan, English literature is very popular. Now it is. So the, the reason she got into fan fiction at all, according to the New York Times article, was because she didn't have anything to read in Japan. That's right. You sent me that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Interesting. And I know I now know. that, like, the whole wolf kink thing is very popular in Japanese, like, manga yeah. and all that Yeah, it's stuff. big in manga regardless. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but re- but not realizing Nora Ash was the first published one on Amazon is really stupid. Yeah. Like, that one is just, like, I'm not going to give that her That one's do your research. That one's dumb. Like, don't go around Before and claim that. Before you say that. something, stupid. research, back it so, up. And okay. I... 
I, I'm not a fan of Addison Kane, the person maybe, but you know, I do, I have bought her books before. I just haven't read them yet because I've been too scared. <laughs> like if I see one on sale, I'll grab it because I know one day I might be in the mood. Yeah. I just am a little, I'm a little scared because I don't like it when they're that mean. <laughs> and I'm. As a dark romance lover, I'm like, you got to be nice to them I'm at least. I'm a bad reader because unless it's on Kindle Unlimited, I won't read it. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah. I'm not going to buy $4.99 for a book I don't know if I'm going to want. books. Mm-hmm. I buy them for the library, so mm-hmm. I get them free there. I have Kindle Unlimited, so it's, what, nine ninety nine mm-hmm. a month or something like that. And uh, honestly, I've bought too many books at mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble this year to buy yeah. digital books that I don't know if I'm going to like first right. and then can't return them. Exactly. So, listen, if you want to give them a try, go for it. They're not badly written. Let I just, us know. Yeah, let us know if you if you did end up liking it. If uh, there were too many similarities for you to get into it, and then I will send you the link Ellis Lawyers made about... Yeah comparing the two they actually corrected addison kane on a couple ah, of i love it it's like <laughs> actually no <laughs> so i think we've had all the fun we can have that was great it was a really good sidebar that was a great dumpster fire it it was a good scandal but um i think it's time to go into the uh infuriating one that is not going to be as fun unfortunately oh no i want to be upfront with you guys this story is really crazy and it's confusing there's still a lot of unanswered questions about it, even after a year. This is a story where a lot of bad events just kept leading to the other one. Bad decisions piled up on each other. And all these things together at once sort of turned into the straw that broke the camel's back. If I went down every rabbit hole this story leads, I could easily talk for two hours. So I'm doing my best to present everything to you in a way that makes sense. But there's a lot of documentation and updates to wade through. Mm. I did read a lot of blogs, a lot of news articles, a lot of secondhand sources. But I want to let you know that I did read as many primary documents whenever possible. She went down the rabbit Mm -hmm. hole. She's been texting me about this for like two months now since we knew we were going to do this. So Mm -hmm. Jen has researched. And I should say it is still ongoing. Stuff is is still being brought to light. It is. And I just wanted to to make it really clear that I, I... did my best to do my research because this is a case that inspires a lot of strong emotions from people. Mm-hmm. So I guess email me if you have a problem with it. I don't know. I did my yeah. best though, guys, but it's, it's very convoluted. It's crazy. Thanks to Twitter. There's just a lot of stuff to wade through. Yeah. <laughs> so it took a while, but let us try to muddle our way through one of the worst scandals in romance history it's and bad. the ethics complaint that sent an entire trade organization to its knees. It's bad. The RWA implosion. Romance Writers of America. Mm -hmm. Or RWA, as we're going to refer to it, is a trade organization for romance writers founded by Vivian Stevens and Rita Clay in 1980. Vivian Stevens was a really influential black editor who helped steer romance into what we know it as today. She picked books that had more experienced, ambitious heroines. Mm -hmm. It had more explicit sex scenes. And most importantly, she picked more books from authors of color. We love her. Mm -hmm. Rita was an author who wanted to join writers groups, but she was refused entry because she was a woman, she was black, and because she wrote romance. Mm -hmm. So they ended up joining forces to create the RWA, which they hoped would be a professional organization that would help promote, advance, and protect romance authors. All good things. It grew grew into a massive organization over the decades with over 9,000 members and a 2 to $3 million budget a year. Wow. The most of any other writing trade organization. Wow. There's a couple out there. I've, like the Writers Guild gets tossed around, yes. but the, the, re, the RWA is very comparable and there's really nothing else like it. They hold annual romance conventions every year. Mm-hmm. They host awards and scholarships mm-hmm. and they abdicate for writers to their publishers. 
In the scandals we've covered so far, they've always gotten involved, working directly with Amazon to take down Surya's books or to get the cocky books back up after Hopkins files mm. her takedown notices. And they've done great work, and they've protected mm. authors from bad actors. Mm-hmm. That is why it is so frustrating that they have always had a problem with being welcoming to minority authors. In 2006, there was a minor scandal when they wanted to define romance as a relationship between one man and one woman. Mm. When Nora Roberts resigned from RWA in protest. Hey! Yeah, I know. Our favorite. Wait, Nora. <laughs> she wrote a very good blog post by this, about oh, good, this, by good. the way. She was told very seriously by leadership that if they don't do something, <gasps> lesbians will take over the RWA. <laughs> you almost just got me to swear there. Are you bleeping serious? No, it's on her blog. Like, this is apparently an email she got back when she sent this letter really concerned about. And they're like, Nora, we got to do something or the lesbians are going to take over. How dare they? <laughs> I am. What? <laughs> so that's kind of that was the opinion of most people was that outcry. And they did back off. But you know what? Those kind of questions sent a message. They did not. Even worse, they did not have clear anti-discrimination rules until the 2010s. And this is an organization that had been around for 40 years. Yeah. And they didn't have any kind of rules about, like, what happens if somebody's racist or sexist or, or anything. Like, oh, nothing. that's bad. Uh, they, yeah, they did not have any of these rules. And they never seemed to respond well to complaints of racism. So one thing that happens is Helen K. Diamond, the president of RWA at the time, asks Courtney Milan to be the chair of the ethics board in 2018. Everyone knows there's work to be done, and Milan at this point is a very outspoken, influential romance author who has a law background where she clerked for the Supreme Court. I listened to an interview with Diamond where she said pretty immediately Milan was sitting the board down and being like, hey, you might think you're welcome to everybody, but you're not. Let's fix that. So she actually wins an award from RWA for her work on the board, by the way. She's awesome in general. If we're being honest, Jackie and I are fans. So you know what? Sorry again in advance if you think that makes us biased to the whole plot of this. But there you go. There's like sorry, a disclaimer. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, honestly, that's really <laughs> Jen's smacking her mic <laughs> about it. So I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm gonna like Milan and be proud. Yes, she's a good author mm-hmm. and she's very inclusive and she yeah. writes a lot of fun plots. She writes, she is one of the only romance authors I've seen write an actually genuinely old heroine. Yeah, that looks awesome. We don't have it for some stupid reason, but we should. I'm gonna buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it. So with all of that in mind, let's bring our story to August 2019. Oh no. The president-elect of RWA, Carol Ju- or Carolyn Jewell, posts the following tweet. Well, I saw that someone who's been years in the publishing, not writing, business liked a highly problematic tweet. And when I checked if that was an accident, their timeline was full of likes of hateful racist tweets. Sorry, but blocked. So people pretty quickly realize she's talking about a woman named Sue Grimshaw, a former romance buyer for Borders and a romance editor. This gets a lot of attention because Sue Grimshaw is a a person a lot of people have had questions about, if I'm putting it very diplomatically. Because while she was at Borders, people are kind of concerned what or confused about what her role was in buying and promoting black romances while she was working. Okay. They had a very strange policy about putting all black romance into a African American section and like the back of the store. And they did that to all of their books by people of color. I was gonna say let's be nostalgic about borders for a moment, but no. no. (laughs) Now I'm remembering their really bad business practices. That is not one of the the I just miss their book prices. Let's put it that way. I miss any prices back from ten years ago. Good gas. So, oh my God. I don't want to talk about how much gas is. <laughs> and it just seems like there's a lot of confusion over how much of that policy Grimshaw in particular had control over, if she encouraged or discouraged buying books by black authors. And honestly, I've not been able to find a straight answer. 
um, I found. Um, I have a question. Yeah. So was she a buyer at a specific border for all or like, like corporate? For, I think corporate. Okay, okay. So she had some power. It wasn't like she was just in some rinky dink borders in Mississippi. Okay. You know, she, it seems like she had some, some influence and power. Okay. I think that's why people are, are upset at her particularly. I haven't seen a lot of other names come up. Okay. Maybe they just haven't been in a scandal like this. Gotcha. But it seems like, again, it's kind of iffy. I, don't, I can't give you guys a straight answer because I saw one site that said there was a policy that she wasn't allowed to buy anything from a, from black authors mm. because that was under the African-American buyer's duties. Mm. Like they had, mm. the, like, I'm just trying to picture that as a librarian. Like you're, there, we have a specific librarian that buys black stuff. It's just, it's super weird. Well, I just buy everything that's yeah. a fiction book. So, <laughs> Which, yeah, so it's insane. It's definitely not what we do anymore. I found another site that said she just didn't care. Someone else said it wasn't her job. And that kind of seems to, to be the sentiment mostly is that it, for some reason it wasn't her job. So she didn't buy them. Hmm. So I don't know. I really don't know. But it seems like something is not right there. So yeah. with that kind of background, whether she's guilty of it or not, Let's cover ourselves. I don't know what she's guilty of. People definitely notice when she starts liking a lot of racist anti-immigration tweets. And this was not just one or two mistakes. Twitter users spotted over 700 before she deleted them overnight when people started criticizing her for them. And to be clear, this clear this was all around like 2019 that she mm-hmm. was doing this. Yeah. So that's a very charged time period. Yeah. Not it's This is just before COVID. Okay. So... And you know what? Maybe that's where this would have ended, or maybe it wouldn't have blown up the way it did. Maybe this would be a minor footnote instead of the massive episode it's turning into if her boss and friend, Susan Tisdale, oh no. owner of Glenfinnell, Glenfinnan? Glenfinnan Publishing, hadn't posted a video where she defended Grimshaw by saying she was no more a racist or bigot than oh, I am. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of most people. Cringe. There's a full transcript of the video on one of the blogs I read for this story, but it is pretty much summarized as, Grimshaw isn't a real racist like a skinhead. She just has Christian conservative opinions. It was a 12-minute video. Oh! That's as much as I can condense it to. My God. Twitter is obviously not happy with this. (laughs) Honestly, guys, if you learn nothing from these stories, please do not leave a paper trail and please do not piss off Twitter. It lives forever. <laughs> Eventually, this gets to Milan. So I want to make it clear. This was a conversation before it ever got to Milan. Okay. Who has great opinions about it, of course, as always, in my opinion. And it turns into looking at some of the authors employed by Glenfina, whatever, and their own books. So one of these is Somewhere Lies the Moon by Catherine Lynn Davis, published originally in 1999 and again in 2014. Milan describes the book as a racist mess and really rips apart how it portrays half Chinese women on Twitter. Yeah. Milan is half Chinese herself, so I would think she's a great authority on that, you know, just saying. So, so far, all we really have is some drama on Twitter. Just a lot of people criticizing this group. Davis does claim that she has lost a contract, quote unquote, but she shows no proof to that. Mm. Tisdale claims that authors won't work with her because they're so afraid of Milan. But I I don't know. I think she's provided lots of reason for people to want to work with her. Also, yeah, sure. (laughs) Milan is very outspoken and very brash almost Mm. but so far everything i've seen that she says is true right i mean maybe she doesn't say it in a nice way and that's kind of most people if people have a problem with her it's because she like curses and does not sugarcoat things that's why i like her so much she and i are the same person i I feel like some of this too people just don't really understand how twitter works yeah and i'm saying that as somebody who doesn't use twitter but you have there's a specific kind of personality you cultivate on Mm -hmm. twitter Mm -hmm. like you know and this half what of what happens. Milan tweets is about figure skating. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, so you got to take it. Like, 
It's Take a it delight. Will. <laughs> it is a delight. Yes. So for a full timeline at the back and forth, I really recommend Claire Ryan's blog, who has a full accounting of everything. Okay. But to move this along, I'm going to tell you that Tisdale ends up filing a formal complaint against Milan on August 27th. Later, Davis will file a formal complaint as well on September 11th. Mm-hmm. That link will be in the show notes as well if you want to read it for yourself. But the important thing is Tisdale accuses Milan of harassing behavior, mm. bullying, threatening her career and her business. And personally, this is where I think she was the most effective. She threatened legal action if the RWA does not do something about Milan. Hmm. So the next months get really weird. Milan is asked to step down as chair by Diamond. Later, Diamond will clarify it's because the RWA attorney asked her to, but it's a really confusing thing for a while. Anyway, Milan did agree to step down. She is upset, though, because she feels like it shouldn't have gone to the board at all. The bylaws have special exceptions for social media that is not controlled by the RWA. And, you know, it's super weird how all these other complaints get ignored. Mm. But Milan's goes right through to the board and it now has to be discussed. Hmm. Yeah. Weird. Second weird thing. I'm not going to bog you guys down in policy information. I'm interested. I know nobody else is. (laughs) But I want to make really clear that RWA has policies for dealing with ethics complaints. But for some reason, RWA decides they can't use the ethics board they already have. That's the weirdest part to me. Normally, if people feel like they couldn't comment on a case, if they couldn't be fair, they would just recuse themselves and the board would just continue on. And a lot of people did do that. There were Allison Kelly, who I don't even mention, but she is kind of a villain in this. So Google her later if you want. And I think um, at this point, too, Carolyn, like a lot of people recuse themselves. Okay, so I don't understand why they felt the need to make this whole separate panel. Carolyn Jewell, the new president now, the person who tweets kind of started this, by the way, she, for whatever, decides that. People are going to not want to go against the chair. It's going to be a conflict of interest. I don't know. But it's it's very much against the policy for whatever else she thinks. And, yeah, so we're going to start a secret board, essentially. So mm. there's a totally separate secret panel formed to deal specifically and only with the Milan complaint. That's just it's not above board it's really super strange she says that she wants to have a firewall as she puts it between Mm. this panel and the actual committee to again prevent any conflicts like i don't know i don't know in the end carol jewel carolyn jewel actually ends up recusing herself from the case because of the original tweet she sent Mm. in august that got this whole thing started and damon suede the president-elect takes over yeah (laughs) you know him I don't know if that gave you a hint about Damon Swade. <laughs> November 19th, the panel finally meets to discuss the complaints. And this is a little frustrating because they basically find everything in Milan's favor except one. And this is quoted from the audit that occurred. Mm-hmm. Repeatedly or intentionally engaging in conduct injurious to RWA or its purposes. Claire Ryan's blog further quotes them saying, If Milan had more calmly and in less incendiary fashion expressed her opinion that certain conduct or a novel was racist, that likely would have resulted in a different decision by the committee. I think that I probably would have cast it very differently. The language itself was so incendiary. It was so problematic. So horrible. It was considered a very horrific thing to go after another member of RWA's publishing house, and the reputation of RWA would suffer probably as much as anything else. That was a direct quote from somebody on the panel again. So no concerns over anybody actually being racist. But yeah. Milan was just too mean about the racism. I was going to say, we have all this t- 
terrible stuff that's against people of color, racism, all this. And you're saying, she hurt my feelings. She was mean to me. She used curse words. She shouldn't have conducted herself in such a matter. Like She wasn't ladylike. She She showed her knees and her collarbone. She wasn't nice enough. So again, everything else was found in her favor. But apparently being mean was just way too worse than anything else. Because the panel does decide to censure Milan. They suspend her membership for one year. And they put a lifetime ban on her ever holding leadership positions again. Nope. Nope. I'm done. Okay. Well, we're not done because we yeah, have more. No, it gets I'm, worse. I officially don't like RWA at all anymore. <laughs> so, it no. is. It's not ever explained why this punishment is so harsh. I read a lot of comments that, you know, they give this sort of sentence out when people steal money from chapters. Yeah. This is not a normal punishment for somebody who, you know, even if you agree she was too mean, you guys can go find the, the screenshots. She did use a lot of curse words and she was very much like, we'll say she was very strong. We'll be yeah. very diplomatic. Still, to ban her for life, to suspend her for a year, that's the punishment you pick. And that's going to be one of the answers we probably don't get because of executive session. People are just probably not going to be able to willing to talk about it. I also wonder, too, if there's, like, more we don't know that they can't release. Oh, Jen just pointed a finger at me, so let's go on. The final report is sent to the RWA board on December 17th. And what a shock. More weird things happen. The only thing the board examines was the report itself. So if you don't mind, Jackie, why don't you take a look at this report very quickly and uh, tell me some things that are missing. We'll pause the audio. We'll get rid of the dead air. You you let me know what you think about this report. Okay, okay. BRB, folks. Um, yeah, for the record, Jackie, you have looked at the five-page report yes. that was given to the board. Yes. And I want to make clear, this is the only thing the board saw. These five pages. I have serious questions. What a shock. They did too. Because <laughs> you know what? This is missing. Everything. There's no evidence. It's missing Milan's response to the allegations in the first place. And it's missing the complaints themselves. Also, their final thing, they say, to reiterate, mm-hmm. like her punishments, censured, suspended, all that sort of stuff. But then they make a point of saying, inasmuch as the committee felt its hands were tied in the matter of adjudicating mm-hmm. postings on social media not related, not yeah. operated by RWA, no matter how egregious, she still can't do this. I'm like, then how can you speak to it? Yeah. It very much felt like, okay, there's the social media exception, but because Milan was there when it was voted on and she knows about it, clearly she's going to take advantage of it and she's not allowed to do it. it it's no no that is kind of what i felt and that is what the board feels because they get these five pages that don't explain why they came to these decisions they saw no background material and again there is the social media exception all of this evidence is social media based so they have all these questions they keep pressing for information damon suede keeps insisting that he had signed a confidentiality agreement and he was not comfortable talking about the evidence that the ethics panel had discussed but the board wasn't allowed to see it suede assured them that oh there's reams of evidence there was evidence that wasn't from social media and the panel looked at so much stuff i remember him tweeting this but the board can't see any of it you just have to trust the panel don't you trust the panel jackie no why don't you trust the panel because i don't 
Questioning the panel and wanting to see all this stuff, Jackie, means that you don't actually trust the panel. Surprise! Kelsey, (laughs) please. I really recommend reading the whole summary of December 17th on the Ryan blog, but I want to highlight that a lot of the things done to Milan are outside of the normal procedure rules that even though they highlight there is a social media carve-out of the rules, the panel still judged her social media, and the RWA is very worried about a potential lawsuit from Tisdale. In the end, I'm sorry to say that they did accept the judgment at the ethics panel. And honestly, I do feel really, really bad for the board because the impression I am getting from these emails and from these notes is that a lot of them felt pressured into accepting this decision. They're being told, oh, just trust us. Milan definitely deserves this and you either trust us or you don't, but you better trust us. And even if you do say no, this goes right back to that ethics panel. They're going to have the same determination and you still are not going to see the evidence. Wow. So... Yeah. Something smells like fish. In the audit that was done after all this was over, I want to quote from this. Several board members who voted in favor of finding a, of a finding against Courtney Milan later said that they were uncomfortable with the lack of evidence but felt pressure to trust the committee. They say that they relied on the characterization of Miss Milan's conduct as egregious and on Damon Swade's statement that the finding of the violation included conduct outside of social media. Okay, show me. Uh, no, you have to trust the panel, Jackie. But I don't, so show me. You have to trust it. No, you trust it. You can ask whatever you want. And, oh, obviously vote your conscience. But if you vote no, like, it's going to go right back to the panel and it's going to come right back like this. So, like, just trust the panel. That is kind of essentially what this meeting feels like, reading it on paper. That's what I'm titling this episode. Just trust the panel. (laughs) So... Now we come to the part, finally, you have probably heard all about. Only now? (laughs) The social media firestorm that waged as soon as Milan's friend Alyssa Cole breaks the news on Twitter on December 23rd. Yes. This time, she does include all documentation in her tweets, all of which you can read for yourself in our show notes. Twitter erupts, basically. Yes. (laughs) They did. As soon as they see all the documentation, as soon as they see the tweets, as soon as they know it's Courtney Milan, they are furious. People start demanding refunds on their membership dues. Authors who had won Rita's return them in protest. And RWA is being hammered with emails about what is going on. Mm -hmm. Now the board members finally have full access to the documentation and they're freaking out. In one of the private pan loops, Swade tries to defend himself with the following. Really quick, what's a pan loop? It's kind of like their private social media. Okay, It's like okay. a private access network. Okay, it's gotcha. kind of what gotcha. the pan means. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's this is kind of why the social media exception exists. Okay. They want to be able to kind of police behavior in the pan loop, but they don't want to worry about things like Twitter. It's like their own personal Reddit, yeah, pretty exactly. much. And they want to be able to police what's yeah. on there. But, like, what are you going to do about Twitter? You know? So, like, they kind of carved it out. So... Again, Swade tries to defend himself with this following. The issue here is what of professional safety and the right to do business and romance. But let's be queer. Clear? <laughs> okay, let's be queer, guys. No, let, me, let me redo that. There we go. <laughs> Moral of the story. <laughs> right. But let's be clear. No one has said members can't call out racism in word and deed. The truth is, the ethics committee reviewed the evidence and issued a ruling. We accepted their findings and we issued a partially mediated punishment after a lot of discussion. As I reminded y'all several times, voting to not accept the report was an option. The issue is not that she was mean on Twitter, but that she attacked members in every way possible while working for RWA and then scurried behind the social media fig leaf for cover when someone complained. Worse, she did it knowing that rule was in place. Why? Because she voted on it. So, nobody likes that, basically. 
I really feel like I should start taking pictures of my face at this point because, yeah. There's an emergency board meeting on December 24th because members are furious that, no, there's no evidence that wasn't based on social media. The public has way more info than they ever did, and they feel like the entire process and their votes have made them look like an idiot. Yeah. There are policies in place that exclude social media. I don't know how many times to say that. Swade clearly does not like it, but that is... The rule of the law, like the land. What do you want from me? And yeah, he does not seem to like it from all the notes and the emails I've read. <laughs> but it's, it is. there's such an interesting discussion. And I mean, it's not just in romance community, but mm-hmm. in general, in in business yeah. land with social media mm-hmm. and how you deport yourself on social yeah. media and how you represent yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when businesses get social media, how does that look? Mm-hmm. And it's... It's a beast of its own color, mm-hmm. and I really don't think you can do anything with social media. Do. Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard thing, but uh, Milana's in the right here. <coughs> yes. Anyway, <laughs> because, especially because the board votes to immediately rescind the ruling against Milan with the mm-hmm. following justification. So this is one day after this comes out, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, they decided this December 17th. December 24th, they're like, uh, the board was not allowed to review the full complaint submitted by Susan Tisdale, nor the response from Courtney Milan as factual evidence. The original complaint does not fall within the requirements of a valid ethics complaint and should have been rejected and recommendation should have been declined. Yeah. So that is how they rescind the ruling with that statement. The statement is released on RWA that they're rescinding the punishment only days after they decided to do it and after a day that it was announced by Cole, which is just... That's called eating crow. <laughs> Let's just find the humor where we can. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. You're good. We're good. We're good. So this whole debacle reveals a lot of stuff. Yeah. The way RWA deals with ethics complaints is not adequate. No. They don't go, they don't all go to the board. They get filtered. Mm-hmm. So in one interview I listened to with Milan, she talked about how she advised a lot of her friends with racism concerns to file a complaint. And since she never heard from them, she's like, oh, they must deci- they must have decided not to do it, whatever. But as soon as this happened to her, she found out, no, they did. It just never went to the board. Mm. Twitter is filling up with people sharing their stories of feeling discriminated against or unwelcome at RWA. Yep. Authors are pulling their books from Rita consideration, and people are resigning at mass. Agents are stating they're never refused with RWA again. Simra, the multicultural arm of RWA, files petitions to, man- to demand the resignation of Damon Swade. We don't have... We do not have time to get into it, no. but RWA had been dealing really poorly with a publisher named Dream Spinner who had not been paying their authors. There's suddenly questions about Swade's involvement with them because they have published a lot of his books and have special deals with him. There's suddenly questions about his qualifications to be president. <laughs> you have to have written five books and no one can locate the novel Stud Planet, which he claims to have written. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was like a republished book from, from somewhere else and it didn't have the word count. That yeah, it, it needed like to Chris be. Tingle book. But. No, no, no. It's even worse because actually he had said at one point that he knows the identity of of Chuck Tingle, and Tingle actually has to tweet out, "No, he doesn't." <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he releases a whole parody book about it. Wow, it's like he doesn't understand social media. <laughs> it's just a scandal that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger with all these other things that keep getting dragged into the orbit. And oh RWA, gosh. they just don't deal with them. Like they just hunker down. They give really conflicting information, and to me. At this time, it doesn't seem like they really understand the damage they've caused. That doing this to Courtney Milan has just broken something in a lot of people. For all of the good RWA had done at one point, they had papered over the sicker underbelly, and now yep. it is exposed to the world. Yep. 
it gets worse and worse because publishers pull out of the conventions. They might not even have enough money to host one. And one of their bylaws is they will host a convention every year. So the organization is in huge trouble. There are no read nominees because everybody keeps pulling their books. RWA chapters are freaking out over the all over the country. They keep um, either disbanding or just being really like, we don't agree. We don't agree. Membership sinks to something like 6,000 members. So we had started at nine. It's down to six. This whole debacle loses them like 3,000. I'm sure there's probably more by now. Yeah. (laughs) In the end, Damon Swade finally does step down. Basically, everybody steps down. Yep. There's a lot of little scandals that pepper this whole month, including this awful decision where the January issue of RWA's magazine has a white woman helping a black woman up a mountain as the cover. Which is a bad choice during this time. Nope. Nope. Maybe it would have been unremarked on any other time, but this is a bad look. Nope. Davis and Tisdale also speak out in interviews and say, we didn't want this to happen. We just wanted an apology. Which is really stupid to claim since both of their letters claim they do want her removed from leadership. So, like, stick to what you said. Okay? But fine. Whatever. The worst part is Davis clarifies that for all of this concern about her lost business opportunities for her, that um, maybe she lost out on on some verbal discussion of books. (laughs) There was kind of like some talk that kind of dried up and maybe it was or maybe it wasn't related to Milan. When originally she had said, I lost the contract. And she has backtracked on this even further in a later interview. So honestly, at this point, I don't even know what was or wasn't lost. She feels like they're trying to cover themselves, but occasionally they'll say things like, oh, my phone is blowing up with all these silent supporters. So I can tell you for sure, they did not want just an apology. This is exactly what they wanted. And a year out now, and the organization hasn't really come back. They had a chance, I think, when they unveiled their new awards, the Vivians, named after, after Vivian Stevens. They retired the Ritas because they yes. had so much controversy with yeah. only white authors winning them. Hey, Jackie, guess what year the first black Rita award winner ever was? Was it 2020? 2019. <laughs> Kennedy Ryan was the first Black Rita well, Award winner Well, she's a great ever. author, so she's I, great. I hype her. But there were great authors otherwise. There have been great authors this entire time. And they've actually given Nora Robert Achievement Awards to Beverly Jenkins and yeah. Brenda Jackson. They've never run of Rita. Uh. So uh. this was supposed to be like a clean slate kind of thing. People were really watching to see, you know, who the nominees would be and who would win. And I remember before the announcement, it felt like everyone was kind of holding their breath, right, to see what would happen. And could RWA really deliver on some of their promises? And it was tense and nerve-wracking. And they picked a Christian romance with a genocidal hero to win romance with religion or spiritual elements. Yep, they did. (laughs) They did. So You heard that right. They did not exactly blow anyone away there. And they were also forced to take that award away when people were like, why are you glorifying this guy that killed Wasn't a bunch of people at Wounded Nazi? Knee? Or no, it was Wounded Knee. That's so right. So actually, this is the same publisher that did the Nazi romance. That's why you're thinking of it that way. I remember that Yeah, this now. publisher did... Um, oh, God. They did a Nazi romance where he fell in love with... I think it was a Polish concentration yep. camp. Right? Yep. I don't think it was Jewish. And if I'm going to give them any credit, it was supposed to be a retelling of a specific biblical story. Yes. That was not the case with this one. <laughs> So there's a couple things I want to mention before we end uh, because I'm already pretty infuriated. One of the big questions I keep saying over and over again was, why Courtney? We didn't really have enough time to go into the detail on her work at RWA, but she did so much for the organization as a whole. When I listened to her interview with Smart Podcasts, she estimated that being on the board probably cost her a book and a half in a year Mm -hmm. plus half a million in revenue. All of this was entirely volunteer work. 
So it does feel like such a slap in the face to what they did to her. And she was so excited about her Mm -hmm. position too. She was like gung-ho for it. Mm -hmm. One thing people want to know is, was this personal? In the Smart Podcast interview, she did a very good four-series interview series, by the way, guys. Like, definitely check it out. She interviewed Helen K. Diamond. And in this, she claims that no one hates Courtney. That's not why this happened. This was just sort of bad luck because they had just revamped their ethics complaint process. And Diamond, in particular, had done a lot of work with Milan to make additions and new policies, knowing how bad it was. Discrimination complaints did not go through the ethics board until 2019, And it just so happens that the Tisdale complaint is the first one to pop up after all that work. Mm. I don't think Diamond is one of the bad guys in all of this exactly. But summarizing it like that feels a little convenient to me. It still feels a little naive considering the scandal as a whole. But please listen to that interview if you'd like more of the policy breakdowns. It is really interesting. You know what it sounds like to me really Mm. quick is if Diamond spent all his time working one-on-one with Courtney. And Courtney we know is very brash and Mm -hmm. very outright. And isn't afraid to say things. It feels to me like Diamond got her feelings hurt. Something (laughs) was said. And of course, this is all hearsay. We don't Mm -hmm. know. But it sounds to me like Diamond then specifically teamed up with people like Tisdale. And things just like, even if it wasn't the purpose of Mm -hmm. we should go after Courtney. It was very much so like a gossip circle. I don't know if it... I don't know if I would describe it as that. I will say in the interview, she actually does mention that the audit the audit asked them if they were friends. <laughs> she kind of jumps over the question. She gives a lot of compliments to Courtney. She talks about, you know, she's so smart. She's so great. She pointed out all these weaknesses. Yada, yada. I really appreciate that. I There were definitely people that did not like Courtney. Courtney names names in the interview of people she wished was fired and people that I just did not have time to get into as, the, as villains aside from Damon Swade because he's his were just so funny. But I do kind of wonder if Okay, fine. Maybe this was very convenient, but if it's so convenient, this is also kind of a nice way to get rid of her. You know, now the process has been revamped. There's a great opportunity to get rid of her if you don't like her. There's a reason she's popped up in all these stories. She fights for what she thinks is right very loudly and for very forcefully. And for people who are comfortable with the status quo, I get why they don't want her pointing out everything wrong with the organization. One little fun fact I've been saving. Addison Kane actually filed a complaint letter against uh, Milan, too. <laughs> <laughs> My, how the turns have tabled. <laughs> she got really mad that Bel- that Milan did not take her side on Twitter about the lawsuits. And- ah! <laughs> oh, my. Do you want to know something even funnier? Because I got this info from the yes. Lindsay Ellis. Yes. Addison Kane asked Courtney Milan for her opinion on the lawsuits. And then Milan said on Twitter, you know, I don't think this there is anything here. You can't own a genre. Yeah. It was not a mean tweet. Like, nowhere near what she said about the Davis book. If we're going to compare anything. Like, she was very much like, yeah, you know, I've, I've looked at this. It's not like, there's really nothing here. I'm sorry. <gasps> oh, so, she even said, I'm sorry. I don't think she said, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know. I can't remember the exact Jen tweets. That might have just Jen been words. more le- me like, you know, you, you don't have a case here. So, yeah, Addison Kane actually filed a complaint letter about that to rwa about milan and she too asked that she would be removed from leadership and that she'd be censored in some way (laughs) also by the way she wrote the most nauseating anti-bullying post ever when all of this was happening against milan so like addison (sighs) kane did yeah it was super gross anti-bullying is not you don't bully people but but i can only imagine how the point is i can only imagine how many other angry people complained about her just because they were mad that she gave her opinion on twitter I wonder if certain people at RWA did see this as an opportunity since Tisdale did threaten to sue. So 
maybe just, you know, all the ducks are lined up in a row. Let's take the shot. This yeah. is like a great opportunity. Uh, I don't know how blunt I'm allowed to be on a work podcast about why this happened to Courtney, but uh, I think we can draw our own conclusions based from my version of the story I've laid out. I will say to cover myself, the audit that was conducted by the independent law firm, I've referenced it a couple of times. They started kind of investigating what happened a few months after. And they concluded that this was a failure of procedure and policy, not any personal vendetta against Milan. You can read the audit yourself if you like. There have been people on Twitter that have kind of pushed back against points of the audit. Mm. And you can definitely go through our show notes, do some Googling, because yeah. there's a lot of stuff I've left out. Do and your research. That is kind of how a lot of bad and weird decisions piled up on top of each other to really damage the RWA. Still did. And it sucks for so many reasons, but specifically, Diamond brought up this point I hadn't considered. RWA had had enough power that they could talk to publishers directly. There was actually a person at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all these places that were assigned to talk to them. They had a phone number directly to oh, wow. the publishers. And yeah, they could go take care of things when trouble were, was brewing. That's why they could go call Amazon when all the cocky books got taken down oh, and get them back up. Okay, okay. And now they have lost so much moral high ground. Yeah. Amazon doesn't want to care about how they're mislabeling African-American romances, yep. but RWA forced them to. They just want to respond to takedown notices so it's off their plate. Who cares if they're right or not? Hmm. And it also limits RWA's power because they have, few member they have fewer members now. Yeah. Who cares about RWA without the full force of its membership behind it? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's one of the biggest shames in all of this. Yeah. I don't know. I think the ending here is that we're just going to have to kind of wait and see if they ever earn that trust back, if they can fix the issues that caused this thing in the first place. And I really want to leave you with this. Okay. What made it possible for them to ignore or miss or however you want to think of it? Why did they miss all these complaints of racism that members have reported, but then they kicked a woman of color out for using curse words to describe a book she found racist? Is that really the hill you want to die on? There's a lot of sentiment online about just letting the organization burn out and starting something new. I guess we'll see what happens. There have already been a couple authors who've started something new, right? Yeah. But the thing is, it's going to take a while to get the kind of heft RWA had. It took 40 years. Yeah. 30 years. How 40, many years? 1980. 80, By the way, 90. Yeah, okay. they're still alive, which is kind of sad. Rita Clay and Vivian oh, Stevens. These so are sad. They're really not a, a long period. And yeah, it's great that... Uh, Racism and white supremacy took down an organization created by women of color. So good job, oh. us. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's not I said fun. this one was frustrating. And I didn't want to talk about this stuff just because I'm secretly really putty. And I had a great time talking about them for hours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do, but it's not the only reason. But <laughs> I think it's really important we remember that as much as we love romance for its happy endings and feel-good stories, it is still an industry with real-world consequences for real-world people. Yep. There's money to be had, and even for a genre like romance, that is going to bring out the real villains, and the endings are not always happy. Yep. Keep an eye on the things you love so they don't break your heart. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank Any you. final thoughts, Jackie? I just think that we constantly hype romance mm -hmm. as being one of the most inclusive genres, yeah. one of the most representative genres, but in reality... We have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of ground to cover. And there's librarians like Jen and I. There's mm -hmm. booksellers out there who will constantly hype those inclusive stories and will make sure mm -hmm. to purchase it and that there's as much, if not more, of those types of books in our collection. Mm -hmm. um, but we are only a few people amongst a many. <laughs> the thing is, I think the thing that got really to me about the RWA story 
I had just had a conversation with one of my best friends like a week ago that, oh, romance is so great. It's so yeah. inclusive. Like we just don't attract those kind of people. So aside from just being so disappointed, I felt so stupid that I had missed it. And Heck, Jamie McGuire. Jamie McGuire. Yeah, there is still a dark underbelly. There you is. Know, we got to be a little vigilant. There That's all I'm is. saying. And I don't know. There's always going to be readers for that kind. I think it's very clear yeah. on what side of the argument Jen and I lie on. <laughs> As progressive millennials. Yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we always say it, it. You read the kind of books you like to read, the books that you resonate with. Um, Jen and I will always go for happiness and love. We're hippies <laughs> at heart, I guess. And as much as we love drama, we just want to see everybody have a happy ending. Yeah. Right? And this is not what we want romance to be. No. So we need to do better. I guess we have to say romance really isn't for everybody if you are a certain type of person. Yeah. Let's work on bringing romance through the 21st century. Yeah. Let's work on hyping the authors we do want to see. Yeah. The good side of RWA. Okay. Let's well, hype. Well, well not the good side of RWA, we'll but see like, if let's. They can live. Let's keep working on where we have to go and yeah. not. I mean, we need to learn from our mistakes. We need to learn from all the bad stuff that has gone on. And we need to forge our way into the future with romance. Okay. Well, okay. I don't know how else to end this. So <laughs> let's announce that luckily next month we are going to be doing a complete oh 180. <laughs> are we? Because I have thoughts. <laughs> we are discussing a genre I know almost nothing oh. about. But I am really weirdly <laughs> fascinated by Amish romance. <laughs> It's a massive subgenre. It's super popular. popular. It makes so much money. And I just want to know why. Like, why? I don't get it. Every book a reader, every reader a book. I have definite opinions. So if you want to hear those opinions tamed down and watered down for a work version, uh, definitely tune in next Mm -hmm. month. Don't forget, we'll have minisodes out this entire month mm-hmm. for you to listen to with some recommendations. Go back and listen to our old episodes. And if you want to catch up on any romance drama, feel free. You can email us for more information, mm-hmm. ragingromantics at nopal, N-O-P-L.org. Um, you can also go online yourself and just search hashtags RWA, <laughs> search hashtag Romancelandia. This lives on Twitter forever, basically. It does. It Even does. The hashtags. RWA will be a smoldering wreck. And Twitter will still live on. Yeah. Go to Courtney Milan. Mm. Check it out. Fun times. But again, next month, our first look into Bonnet Oh, rippers. God. <laughs> I didn't know that's what they were called. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thank you, guys. All right, Jen. What do we always say? Rage on. Bye.